We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. reading from Genesis 18 and 21. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself at the thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him, When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Thanks, Anita. Well, good morning and welcome to Resurrection Oakland. My name is Brent and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're visiting for the first time here today or you're new, we're, we're especially glad that you're here. And for those of you who show up regularly, we're glad that you're here as well. Um, so we've been going through uh, this series um, in the life of Abraham, and and we've been trying to say this almost every week, there's really two reasons why we're doing this series. The first is is that we want to help you see 
that the God of the Old Testament is no different from the God of the New Testament. Sometimes people have the very opposite perception that God kind of makes this major shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But friends, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And so what is God like? What, what do we learn about him actually through the story of Abraham? Have you ever heard someone say, God helps those who help themselves? Maybe you've said that. I want you to know something. God is nothing like that. You know what we learn in Abraham? We learn that God helps people who know that they can't help themselves. That he is faithful to unfaithful people. That he pursues people who want nothing to do with him. And that he sets his affections on people that cannot seem to get it right no matter how hard they try. God is the same. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. Here's the second reason we're doing this series. Is that Abraham's life is a picture of the Christian life. Because Abraham comes into a personal relationship with God and his life is transformed. Let me ask you a question. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? A Christian is not a moral person. A Christian is not a religious person. A Christian is not a conservative person. A Christian is not a progressive person. A Christian is someone who has had a personal encounter with the God of the Bible, with Jesus Christ, and their life begins to change. And there's so much that we have been saying and that we could say about the kind of transformation that happens in a person's life when they begin to meet and follow Jesus. There is so much that we could say, but I want to just, we're going to like zero in on one particular aspect of that change today. And it may surprise you. It's laughter. There's a lot of laughter in today's passage. A lot. So let me ask you a question. How is your laugh life? Not your love life. How's your laugh life? You know, if you're a Christian, laughter ought to be a big part of your life. It ought to be something that characterizes your life. It's, it's interesting how important laughter is for human flourishing. I did some research on this this week, which means I Googled it, <laughs> which means I'm basically an expert in laughter, okay? Uh, Did you know that the average person laughs 26 times a day? And there's actually all sorts of health benefits that researchers have found to laughing. It it lowers your blood pressure. It reduces stress. It increases uh, circulation. It boosts your immune system. Get this, laughter burns calories. So there's your new weight loss program. Watch some old reruns of The Office and laugh, and you're good to go. It actually doesn't burn that many calories, unfortunately. But here's the point. Here's the point, okay? Laughter is good for you. You need it. So laugh more. How's that for a sermon? Laugh more. Thanks for coming today. Let's pray and go home. Actually, that is terribly unhelpful. You know why? Because that's not how laughter works. You cannot manufacture it. It it actually has to be real. And you see, real laughter, here's what real laughter is. It is when something taps deep into the human heart and there is this explosion of joy. And that is the kind of laughter and joy 
that God is after in your life. And I know that sounds strange to some of you. Because when you think of church, you do not think of laughter and joy. You think somber and serious and reflective, and that's what a Christian is supposed to be. But you know what we see in this passage? Is that when God comes into your life, he comes into your life to bring laughter and joy. As one Christian author has said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Now, how do you become the kind of person whose life is characterized by laughter and joy? How do you become that kind of person? Now, it's important to say, we're not talking about a laughter that is dismissive of sorrow and suffering. We're actually talking about a kind of laughter that encompasses the hardest things that you will face in life. And it sweeps all of them up, and you still laugh. Uh, I think it was about two weeks ago now, some of you probably saw this, but Dua Lipa, the pop singer, was on Stephen Colbert's late night show. And he was interviewing her, and, and, and she said to him, she said, you know, I think one of the things that I really admire about you and your fans really admire about you is how open and transparent you are about your faith. He's a very outspoken Christian. And she said to him, she asked him this question. She said, you know, I've wondered, do your, do your comedy and your faith ever overlap? And this is what Colbert said. He said, I believe that death is not defeat. In the same way, sadness is like a little bit of an emotional death, but not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it because that laughter keeps you from having fear of it. And fear is the thing that keeps you turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. Robert Hayden said, we must not be frightened or controlled into accepting evil as our deliverance from evil. We must keep struggling to maintain our humanity, though monsters of abstraction threaten and police us. And then he said this, he said, the relationship between my faith and my comedy is that no matter what happens, you are never defeated And you must understand and see this in light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other. And you know what happened? Everyone broke out in applause, including Dua Lipa. And you know why? Because everyone wants that kind of laughter. Every single person in this room, no matter where you are on the spectrum of belief, Convinced of the things we've been singing and praying, utterly unconvinced, having once believed, if you could ever believe again, no matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum, every single person in this room wants that kind of laughter. Wouldn't it be life-changing if you had it? How do you get it? That is the question of today's sermon. Let's see if we can answer it by considering three things from the text. Sarah's laughter, God's laughter, and our laughter. All right, Sarah's laughter, God's laughter, and our laughter. So first, Sarah's laughter. Let me just kind of remind you of the story if you've, if you've forgotten it so far. The story so far is that God had promised Abraham and Sarah all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 that he would give them a child, that he would make them into a great nation, that many descendants would come from them, and that he would bless them and that he would bless the world through them. Now at this point in Genesis 18 where we pick up today, Abraham is about 100 years old. Sarah is about 90 years old. 
And they have been waiting on God to fulfill these promises for 25 years. And then in today's passage, God comes to visit them in the form of a human being. Three travelers, actually. One of them is the Lord, and then we learn later in Genesis 18 that it's two angels. And God comes to visit them just in in, in such an ordinary way. Now, this is a whole other sermon, but I just want to say this. Sometimes God shows up in your life in the most unassuming ways. So we're always looking for him to show up in kind of these big, monumental ways. Sometimes he shows up in very small ways. But Abraham is sitting outside of this tent, and he is eating with God, and then God says to Abraham in verse 10, he says, Abraham, I'm going I'm to come back in a year, and when I come back, Sarah is going to have given birth to a child. And Sarah is, is sitting inside the tent, she's listening to the whole conversation, and in verse 12, it says that when she heard the Lord say this, she laughed. And the passage is kind of funny here. Some of you laughed when it was being read because she says, God says, why'd you laugh? And she's, I didn't laugh. And God says, yes, you did. I mean, it's kind of like, have you ever seen two children back and forth? It's like, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. This is what Sarah's doing with the creator of heaven and earth, okay? And the question is, though, why did Sarah laugh? See, it was not a laugh of joy. What was it? This is so important to understand. Why did she laugh in Genesis 18? It was really a laughter of two things. The first is, it was a laughter of unbelief. See, God says to her in verse 14, after she laughs, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything impossible for me? And the word here for, for hard is actually the word wonder. God is saying, is, he's saying, Sarah, is anything too wonderful for me? Sarah had lost her sense of wonder because she had become intellectually skeptical about the supernatural power of God. And this is so many people today. I want to tell you, I, I spent 11 years doing college ministry at Berkeley. And this is what is in the waters there. And it's actually what's in the waters of our city. Is that the idea that any belief in the supernatural is laughable. People don't just reject it. They laugh at it. They they scoff at it. Uh, In his book, A Secular Age, philosopher Charles Taylor talks about how modern society has lost our sense of wonder. He says, you know, it used to be that people assumed that we live in a world that is infused with the supernatural, a world that is charged with the presence of God and all of these other invisible powers. But today, we assume that everything has a natural explanation, that it's a closed world that everything has a physical, material, scientific explanation that the world contains no supernatural possibilities. And I love this. What Taylor says is, he says, we have become disenchanted. If you're, if you're a Harry Potter fan, we all live like a bunch of muggles. We all live as if the only reality that exists is the one that we can see, taste, 
touch, and prove in a laboratory. And you see, not only have we taken the supernatural out of the world, but you know what? We've also tried to take it out of religion, actually. We've tried to take it out of Christianity. I talk to people all the time who say, I really like the teachings of Jesus. You know, all of the stuff about generosity and caring for the poor and, 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 and forgiving those who wrong you uh, and justice. But what I cannot accept is all the supernatural stuff, the incarnation, the miracles, the, the atonement, the resurrection. They laugh at those things. Now, if, if that's you, there's something that you need to see in this text. Because, see, if you, if you laugh at it, it shows that you haven't really understood it. See, what, what kinds of wonders does Christianity hold out to you? Do you know what it holds out to you? It holds out to you the wonder that one day all of your sadness will come untrue. It holds out the wonder that one day there will be no more injustice. That everyone will have a place to sleep and food to eat. And there'll be no more loneliness and no more sickness. It holds out to you the wonder that one day every desire of your heart will be satisfied and met. The wonder that we will live forever and one day no longer will we have to say goodbye to people that we love. There won't be graveyards and funerals and caskets. And it holds out to you the wonder that one day everything that you wish you could change about yourself today will finally and fully be healed and that you will laugh for all of eternity. See, you can reject Christianity, but if you really understand what it's offering to you, you will not reject it with laughter. You will reject it with tears. Friends, this is the world that every person longs for. And Christianity says it is coming. And it says that you can be a part of it. See, if you reject it with laughter, you haven't really understood it. In fact, one of the ways you know you're really beginning to deal with Christianity is that you say, I don't believe that it's true, but it would be wonderful if it was. I wish it were. And that actually brings us to the second aspect of Sarah's laughter. It's not just a laughter of unbelief, but it is, it's a laughter of hopelessness, actually. And we need to be careful here because the moment I started talking about the laughter of unbelief, some of you thought, oh, I see. This is a sermon for people who aren't Christian. No. Every single one of us, friends, is a mixture of belief and unbelief. We're like the man in Mark 9 who looks to Jesus and says, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, and the reason for that unbelief, more often than not, is the pain and disappointment that we experience in life. Look at what verse 12 says. It says, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, I am, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? 
when Sarah says, after I'm worn out, you know what that word actually means? Useless, worthless. And then when she talks about not having this pleasure, she's not actually talking about the pleasure of childbirth. If you've ever witnessed one of these, you know that pleasure is, it's not the first word you use to describe it. This is actually a Hebrew word that refers to sexual pleasure. See, let me give you the, the PBT translation of this text. That's called the Pastor Brent translation. <laughs> Sarah is saying, I'm old and I'm tired. And I've been waiting all my life. My body isn't what it used to be. It's been decades since I've known the joy and pleasure of sex. It's been forever since my husband has touched me or desired me. And now I'm going to have a son? This is not a happy laugh. This is a deeply sad laugh. It's a laugh of disappointment and despair. It's a laugh of bitterness and broken dreams. And you see, every person in this room knows what it's like to laugh that laugh. God, I never thought I would be this old and single, still waiting. I never thought I would be this old and still not have kids. I thought I'd be further along in my career by now. I thought I'd have more financial security by now. I thought I'd be healed by now. I thought you would never let something like this happen in my life. See, those are the things that lie under our unbelief. Doubt is never as intellectual as you think. It's never as objective as you think. Our lack of faith is always connected to the ways that we feel like God has not come through for us and not given us the life that we've wanted. You know, I mentioned this earlier, that adults laugh 26 times a day. Do you know how many times a day the average child laughs? 200. Kids are filled with wonder. They're filled with wonder. You know, I have two little girls, and if I tickle them, they giggle. Because they're filled with wonder, but if I tickled you, you, you wouldn't think it was so wonderful. <laughs> You'd probably say, we need to get this guy out of this church. <laughs> Take a four-year-old to the zoo. Take a four-year-old to the zoo, and what do they do? Wow. Take a 14-year-old to the zoo. When can we go home? See, the, the older you get, the more you lose a sense of wonder. Some of you know this in this room better than I. You've, you've, you have more decades and years of suffering than I do. See, the older you get, the more heartache sets in. The more tears and sadness come the harder hope becomes, actually. The easier it is to say, I'm broken, and the world is broken, and things will never change. See, is there anything that can actually heal us? Is there anything that can restore our sense of laughter and joy 
and wonder. Well, that brings us to point two, which is God's laughter. You say, wait a minute. I see Sarah laughing in this passage, but where is God laughing? Well, look at what she says in verse 6 of chapter 21. After Isaac is born, she says, God has brought me laughter. Now, this is a totally different kind of laughter than chapter 18. See, in chapter 18, it's a laughter that comes from unbelief and hopelessness. But in chapter 21, it's a laughter that comes from God. He gives it to her. See, you can't, I want you to think about this. You cannot give something to someone unless you already have that thing. Very profound philosophical thought. Let me say that again. It's very simple, actually. You cannot give someone a thing unless you have that thing. And here God gives her laughter. Now, throughout, here's what's really interesting. Throughout the Gospels, what we see is that Jesus is a man of joy and laughter. In John chapter 2, his first miracle, the first miracle he ever performs, which is very intentional, by the way, it's at a wedding party. And the wine runs out. And so what does Jesus do? He keeps the laughter and the joy going by creating more wine. That's his first miracle. You know what he says in his very first sermon? He said, blessed are those who mourn, for you will laugh. Now, the reason that Jesus was a man of laughter and joy is because he came from a community of laughter and joy. Think about this. Laughter requires community. Healthy laughter. You know, if you see someone just sitting in a corner laughing hysterically by themselves, that can be a sign of unhealth. Laughter requires community. And one of my favorite examples of this is Jimmy Fallon. So uh, this is kind of the late night show theme sermon here, right? We got Colbert, Fallon. Jimmy Kimmel is not coming. This is okay. Two out of three is as good as I can do. But uh, there's a a segment that Jimmy Fallon does on his show. It's called Thank You Notes. It's one of my favorite little things. And it's a silly little thing that he does back and forth with kind of the audience where he, he, he he pretends like he's writing these humorous little notes and he reads them out loud. So let me give you a couple of my favorites. He says, thank you texts that start with, sorry, just saw this, for being the shells, for surviving the long journey from factory to supermarket to my plate and then breaking the moment I put something inside you. It's like, that is brilliant. Yes, I've never thought about that. Thank you, people who say, let me just check my calendar after being asked if they can hang out as a way of basically saying, give me a minute to make an excuse. <laughs> and we all laugh because we've all done it. All right, so Linda Holmes, who, who she writes for NPR, she says this about Jimmy Fallon. She says, Jimmy Fallon lives on joy. And joy is not solitary. Even something like thank you notes which seems to be just him reading cards, has morphed into a silly little dance he does with the keyboard player. He gets so jazzed about things and he's so energized by the presence of other humans that he has the poker face of a five-year-old. He laughs and somebody else laughs and then everybody laughs more. See, real joy, real laughter requires community. And the reason that Jesus can bring deep laughter into your life is because he comes from a community of laughter. He comes from a community 
of joy. God the Father. Christianity, by the way, is the only religion that says this, that God is a community. There are many monotheistic religions. Christianity is the only one that says God is not just one, but he's three in one, which means that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have always existed in a world of laughter. Jonathan Edwards says it this way. He says, God is infinitely, eternally, unchangeably, and independently glorious and happy. And that is why he can bring joy and laughter into Sarah's life, and it's why he can bring joy and laughter into our lives. But see, the question is, how does he open the way for that? How is it possible? How do you enter into the divine laughter of the Godhead? Well, look at what verse 1 of chapter 21 says made it possible for Sarah. It says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. See, it was the grace, here's how you get the laughter of God into your life, the laughter of the gospel. It was the grace of God that came into her life because of the son of promise, Isaac, that was born into the world. That is how she went from a life of hopelessness and disappointment to a life of laughter and joy. It's how she was restored to a wonder that was not childish, but it was childlike. And it all happened to her. It was because of an impossible, supernatural birth. How's it going to happen to us? The same way. Centuries later, in Luke chapter 1, another angel comes to another woman and tells her that she will have a child. Now, if you think it was impossible for Sarah to imagine having a child with an old husband, how much more impossible was it for Mary to imagine having a child with no husband? Do you remember what she says to the angel? She laughs. She says, how will this be? And you know what the angel says back to her? Is anything impossible for God? The same thing that is said to Sarah. Now, now, just for a moment, why all the similarities? Why the similarities between Isaac's birth in Genesis and Jesus' birth in the gospel? And here's the answer. It's because Jesus is the true and better Isaac. He is the ultimate son of promise. And he is the only one who can bring deep, lasting laughter into your life. And you know how he does it? He does it by flooding your life with his grace. It's the same thing that he does for Sarah. And that actually brings us to the last point. I just want to give us a couple very brief points of application here on how when the gospel comes into your life, how it transforms your life and how it transforms your laughter. All right? So here's the first. It means that you can laugh at yourself. You can laugh at yourself. See, what is Sarah's response to experiencing the grace of God? She says in verse 7, who would have thought that God could do this for me? 
And I just love that phrase. Who would have thought? If you're a Christian, that ought to be a phrase that you think and say to yourself every single day. (laughs) Who would have thought that someone like me could know a God like this? Who would have thought that someone like me could be a Christian? It's learning to wonder, friends, at the grace of God and the miracle of your own salvation. The next time someone says to you, you're a Christian, you know what you ought to say to them? Yes, and I cannot believe it either. You know why? Because our situation was far worse than Sarah's. Sarah was in, she was old and infertile. You know what? You know what Ephesians 2 says about us? It says that we are dead. Dead in our transgressions. See, a moral person says, well, of course God loves me. Look, look, look what I've done. Look how hard I've tried. And there's no wonder. There's no wonder. But a Christian says, I cannot believe God loves me. It's a wonder that God loves me. There's no of courseness about it. You can laugh at yourself. Here's the second thing. You can laugh at your past. You know what the name Isaac means? It means laughter. I want you to think about that, that every time Sarah called her son's name, it would remind her of her greatest failure. What was her greatest failure? It was when she laughed at God. You see, how do you have that kind of freedom from your past failures where you can can stare them in the face with such confidence that no matter what you've done, you know it has not deterred God's love from you one bit. You know, only the gospel can give you that. If you believe that God loves you because you're a good person, the, 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 the reminder of any past failure, of all of your past failures, it will crush you. It will fill you with shame. See, but if you believe that the gospel, if you believe that God loves you and accepts you, not because you've been good, but because Jesus has been good, then memories of your past failure only increase your joy and gratitude for what God has done for you. And your worst moments have no power over you anymore. You can laugh at your past. Here's the third thing. You can laugh even when the world laughs at you. She says in verse 6 of 21, she says, chapter 21, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will, everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Now, the translation gets it wrong here. It's actually not with me, but they will laugh at me. We've all had that moment where we realize people, oh, you're not laughing with me. You're laughing at me. And you see, when, when, when the grace of God comes into your life, when you become a Christian, the world will laugh at you. They laughed at Jesus. And they will laugh at you. Let me ask you a question. Does your life look strange to people here? If you're a Christian, your your life ought to look strange. People ought to look at you and say, "You, you give how much of your money away? You, you believe what about sex? You, you go to church like most Sundays? That's like a second Saturday." 
You go to a community group, like you get together with people and you guys open the Bible and you talk about it. You read the Bible, you, you pray. Your life ought to seem strange. But you see, when you have experienced the embrace of God, you can laugh even when people laugh at you. You don't need their approval. You have God's approval. You have all the approval that you could ever need or want. Here's the last thing. You can laugh at yourself, laugh at your past, laugh when the world laughs at you. Fourth, you can laugh no matter how hard or dark life gets. You know why you can laugh now no matter what? Because the gospel says that you will laugh forever in a world made new. And that changes everything about how you respond to suffering and heartache and disappointment now. Teresa of Avila, who was a nun, Catholic nun who lived in the 16th century, she said this, the first hug and kiss from God in heaven will make all of your miserable life look like one night in a bad hotel. And that is what this table points us to. It points us to the wonder and the hope of a future that so far exceeds anything you could ever fathom. And this table doesn't just point us to that, but it tells us how it's possible. See, Sarah, our God says to Sarah, is anything impossible for me? Do you know that Jesus asked that same question in the Garden of Gethsemane? He says, Father, all things are possible for you. If possible, remove this cup from me. Jesus is saying, is it possible that there could be any other way, Father, for you to do this than me having to go to the cross? And you know what the Father says? No. Friends, everything is possible for God except for one thing. And that is removing the cup. Everything is possible except for Jesus going to the cross for us where he drank the cup of sorrow for us so that one day we could drink the cup of laughter and joy with him and one another for all of eternity. And that's the hope of the table. This is why Jesus says in John 16, now as in today, this life is your time of grief and mourning Jesus says, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will be able to take your joy away. And so we say, Lord Jesus, come quickly and feed us at this table and nourish us and give us the strength that we need as we wait and as we hope 
and as we wonder in the day to come. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Gracious God, would you enlarge our hearts right now in this moment to feel, to taste, to know, to drink of the joy and the laughter that you alone can give to us. Some of us come to this table today filled with unbelief. Some of us come with hearts that have been so hardened by so much disappointment and heartache in life. And we need you to break through and to fill us once again or perhaps even for the very first time with the joy that you alone offer to us and can actually give us. And we give you thanks for all of it in your son's name. Amen.